Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Come on up, Dave. Um, so, again, for those of you maybe who have been attending a while or just new today, uh, Dave Prince is pastor over at Living Word. Uh, we have a close relationship as a church and as a body with as well. And uh, and I just, you know, I want to say that Dave is Dave and Sam are probably one of the one of the reasons Liz and I really um, were grafted into Living Word into the community and are still here and are in Mercy Hill. If you're good with that, give all the credit to Dave. <laughs> if you're not so happy, grievances can be filed up front afterwards. So okay. I'm not sure if that was an introduction to, of me or kind of a, a defense of yourself. <laughs> but either way, I'll, I will take it. I'm happy to be aligned with you, Tim and Liz. More Liz than Tim, but all the same. Wow, what a joy it is to be here. I'm so glad John's out of town. It gives me a chance to kind of come in and just fellowship with everyone. It's great to see um, many new faces. I'm meeting some new people, um, old faces, some older than others, but old faces as well. Friendships that we've had for many years, 20 years, um, long time. And so it's just a blessing. And to me, it's always a reminder of the importance that we're not just one-off churches, planted trying to survive and do our own thing that that god is doing a a larger work knitting us together in mission in community and support and love those kind of things and and most importantly in the gospel that we are together a family in the gospel and that what jesus um speaks and commands what what jesus gives to us we share and we're part of each other's successes as well as a part of each other's struggles and challenges and so for all that, it's good to be together. Let me take a minute. I'm going to pray. I've got just a few minutes, and I want to talk about uh, salt and light as it pertains to the Sermon on the Mount series that we are going through together. At least I'm participating today. So let's pray and ask God to move in our hearts. Father, we thank you. Thank you for a great day today. Thank you for this day you've made for us to rejoice and be glad. And as Yami so beautifully led us in, and as your word, as was read, so beautifully exhibits, that God, no matter what is happening, whether it's good things or hard things in our lives, that there's a reason to rejoice in you. Because in Christ we have the victory. Lord, you have redeemed us from the powers of darkness, from the destructive forces of our world and the destructive forces of the world to come. God, that you have made us your very own possession. You've loved us. You've cherished us. You've brought us into your family. And we're here today as children of God, bought by the blood of Christ, dearly loved by our Heavenly Father. Wow, thank you for that, God. Thank you for your word, and I pray today as we go through your word, let your word go through us. Challenge us and change us, encourage us, help us, transform us, Lord. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So if you will, um, you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I want to start out, though, with some fun pictures. So um, tonight, we're gonna, today we're going to read about being the light of the world. And I love lighthouses. Does anyone love lighthouses? Just kind of a bizarre Midwestern fascination with lighthouses. It's like we don't really have any large bodies of water that people are afraid of running aground on. So, um, but here's one from uh, Germany. It's kind of cool. They built this lighthouse. It's an ancient lighthouse, and they built this giant tiger to protect it, which I thought was kind of cool. Just staring at the lighthouse its entire life. Next one says, uh, "This is from Scotland, right? So you got to have an ugly Scottish lighthouse." 
Um, it's just odd little white pencil with a flat top thing on there. You could land a hoverboard up there probably. Uh, that one's in Scotland. What else we got? This is kind of beautiful majestic. The, the Tower of Hercules, or Heracles, depending where you come from, uh, in Spain. And look, it's not round. When's the last time you saw a non-round lighthouse? Very rarely. So I put it on the picture. Um, next one. This one is just really kind of odd. It's like red and white stripes. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, but this one, however, is more creative. Uh, Japan, the Japanese lighthouse, they just went all out on that thing. Um, here's one. Tip to our friends in Argentina, right? Um, Tierra de Fuego. Anybody know what that means? Yeah, land on fire. That's pretty cool. Um, Saudi Arabia, look at them go. It's a, it's a lighthouse orb thing. Um, so good for them. Nice creative thing. Ah, okay, back to America. This is the quintessential lighthouse in Maine. It's just kind of this, you know, white thing with big light on, and there's a house next to it. I just want to live next to a lighthouse. It's kind of cool. Um, Canadians, yeah, oddly octagonal. Um, but it probably does the job. If I would have painted that so nicely, I would have probably painted the barn next door. But maybe they ran out of time and paint. Ah, tip off to the Midwest. Look at Minnesota making a showing in the lighthouses of the world. Two Harbors, Minnesota. It's very, very pretty. It probably serves as a bed and breakfast as well. Who knows? And then back to Nova Scotia, Canada. They've got these weird shaped kind of squat square things. But it does a good job with the light. And um, in honor of my precious and beautiful wife, we'll end with the United Kingdom South Stackhouse Lighthouse in Wales. This is one of the most famous, kind of picturesque, beautiful lighthouses of all of them. And a lot of the online lists, like favorite house, lighthouses of the world, this is often number one. I think that's it, right? Um, oh, no. There's one more. This one, I love this one, because it's like, why do you need a lighthouse in the desert? <laughs> like, seriously? You just put a lighthouse on a sand dune. But no, alas, it's in Denmark. There's water on the other side of that. Uh, but that is... Strictly utilitarian, very little aesthetics to that. Um, so lighthouses. The beautiful thing about a lighthouse is what? Yeah, they give light. Every size, every shape, every type of lighthouse, it has one major function. It's to shine light. And I think that's heartening to me because there's a lot of different types of people. Right, And just as all the different styles and makes and models and shapes and colors of lighthouses in the world, so there's probably even many more types of people in the world. I'm going to read the famous scripture where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And I just think the statement itself is so, in some ways it's so profound, we, we grapple to know what that means. But it's also very aloof, like it's just out there. It's like, what does that mean? How does that work? And I want to show us some of that today. I want you to leave here feeling like your own special lighthouse. My uh, father-in-law lives on the northeast coast of England, about a half a mile from a lighthouse. And on the top of his house, flashes the light. It's really weird. Every eight seconds. We live in a dark world, a world needing of lighthouses. And so as I read these passages to you, 
I want you to think and just ask the Lord, Lord, show me how in my own unique person, in the time and the place and the body and the mind and the personality and the heart that you've given me, how does this work for me when you say that I'm the light of the world? So Matthew 5. I'm going to start with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people... Light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. I mean, those two lines, you are the salt of the earth. They're they're not lines that say you're doing anything. They're lines that say you are something. You are salt. You are light. And I think we can make the critical error of reading that and say, every churchgoer, every person that calls himself a Christian, nominal or not, is salt and light. That's not true. Just because someone goes to church doesn't mean you're salt. Just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean you're light. There is something to the flow of Jesus' sermon. He's preaching to us. And it's like his Bible verses, his texts, are these beatitudes. And you guys, I'm not going to re-preach them, but you see this element of those who are poor in spirit, those who are broken, those who mourn, those who grieve, those who are humble and yet strong, those who hunger and thirst for more of God. These attributes, Jesus, man, if you have those things, if you're merciful, if you're a peacemaker, if you possess any of these things, it said, blessed are you. Another way to say that is, man, good for you. Or congratulations, one commentary says. Hey, congratulations, you're the champion, you've won, you figured it out, you've got it, you get it. Man, if you can be merciful... It's not just that you'll be shown mercy. It's that you get it. You embody the heart of God that he wants for you to have. That those who follow Christ, right, walk in the way of these beatitudes. I don't think we often define our Christianity in terms of the beatitudes. 
And we know the message of grace. We know the message of Christ and the cross and nothing we can do will earn our salvation. Travis did a great job, actually, as he commended uh, Liz for her testimony of really demonstrating the gospel in his own words. But there is something about when Jesus says you're salt and light. It's not an, an automatic presto change magical thing. It's no, that if you are filled with the Spirit of God, if you are following Christ, you are living the, the, the champion lifestyle of the Beatitudes, if you are this expression of the heart of God, you are the salt of the earth. You are light. I know a lot of Christians that are neither salt nor light. I've lived through seasons of my own life where I was neither salt nor life. Because salt preserves, salt flavors, salt heals. Light directs, light proclaims, light reflects. There are seasons of my life I was not those things. As a matter of fact, I was more of a liability to Christianity than I was salt and light to the world. And Jesus here is speaking to these people as he preaches his sermon on the hill. And he's saying, look, let me show you what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. This victorious, ultimately, salvation of the world place. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Those whose hearts are just continually rolled over before the Lord and say, Lord, purify my heart, search me, know my heart, see if there's any wicked way. Lord, let my longing and my desire be for you and you alone. Let there be purity in my heart. Well, the scripture says, Jeremiah says, the heart is wicked. Can't trust it. It's full of sin. But that very longing, that very process of being before God and saying, Lord, let my heart be pure. Let my motivations be pleasing to you, even if I fail. There's something about that where God reveals himself to those people. Those folks who say, I, 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 wanna, I only want to know Christ. That's all I really care about. My motivations, my other motivations, you know, the extra motivation for the, the Harley Davidson or the boat or fame and fortune or whatever is your you know, secret desire. Those things, they just fall so far short. And who I am as a man, who you are as a person, is consumed with this thing that says, I just want to be a child of God. You know, we often think to be salt, to be light, these are action things. I got to go do something. I got to go be, I got I to go and do this or whatever, outreach or this or that, or I got to get all politically active. Or You think these are actions. And there's no question at the very end, Jesus says, let them see your good deeds. But this idea of being salt, this idea of being light, it's like 98% who you are. You want to make a difference with your life? Be the person, the kind of person Jesus describes in the Beatitudes. You want to have massive impact for the kingdom of God? You want to be a light to the nations? It starts right here with who you are. As it does with all of Christianity. It's not a works-based faith. If I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, God will be pleased. No. It's death to self 
and it's new life in Christ, that my identity is now in Christ. It's who I am. Your best defense against sin or sloth or any kind of ineffective Christianity is your identity. Who are you in Christ? Does that idea just permeate you? It's like, you know what? I'm no longer David. I mean, I'm glad God made me David. I like in God's creative sense of humor and his anticipation of mercy and grace. He made me. And I'm delighted that he did it. Because, you know, after a certain point in your life, you start to feel comfortable in your own skin. You realize what you're not going to be, and you realize maybe what you are. And you're just like, Lord, let me be the best version of who you made me to be. But let me be your version. And all those other things, Lord, I just want to, I just want them to go away. I want them, like, to be crucified with Christ. I want them to go into the grave. And the resurrected me, the new life, I don't want them to come with me. I want to be merciful, even if it costs me. I want to be a peacemaker, even if it's unpopular. Lord, help me, Lord, to be broken. Let me be poor in spirit. All those haughty ideas or illusions of grandeur, Lord, break me down to a place where I just want to know you and to live with you. And whatever you do with my life, wherever God takes me, God, let it be just delightful to you. It is the most liberating and freeing and amazing place. It also is the most incredible place of courage and fearlessness and radical passion that you'll ever find once you let go of those other things. But it begins with our identity being fully wrapped up in Christ. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, this is what that life looks like. These statements are about who you are, not what you do. But really, you can't be any of that until you have that legit, profound encounter with Jesus. Right? Because there's no light in me. I know people that have, they love to peddle their advice. They've got all kinds of things that they've learned over life and they think they have it. And some of it's quite good. And some of it is quite rubbish. But that's not who we are as Christians. Let me read to you about this in John eight twelve. It says this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. When we talk about being light, it simply means to be Christ. To be filled with Christ, to be dead to yourself, to live for Christ. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so, whoever follows me, he says, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The key to all of this, of being salt, of being light, is to have Christ, right? I don't mean to oversimplify But this is the issue. When you live and you identify with Christ, who you are affects everything. I remember when my kids were young. My youngest is 17 now. My oldest is 22, 22, 20, 17. So you can't even walk down the hallway here without stepping on somebody. Um, I remember when my kids were little like that. It was a great thing. And you know what? The most profound parenting revelation I ever had is these Beatitudes. Let me be Christ in my home. Let me embody mercy. Let me be a peacemaker. 
Let me show and model true brokenness in my home. Let me love my kids like Christ has loved me. Everything I ever learned about raising my kids or or leading a home, I learned from Christ. Because that has transformed me into the kind of person that somebody might want to live with. Right? Some people, they want to be salt in life, but quite salt in life. But you're really not even a person that anybody wants to live with. You're crabby, you're moody, you're demanding, you're unforgiving. You can speak harshly. Let's start with salt and light in our home. Let's let our kids grow up being in the light. Like, wow, I, this, this, I love my home. They don't want teenagers, they don't want to run away from your home. They want to bring kids into your home. Why? Because this is a place where you've walked the Beatitudes, where you've lived a life of light and salt. The greatest thing ever is when you have teenage kids and you start to debrief the last 15 years of your home. All right, kids, what did we do well and what didn't we do well? (laughs) You'll know when you're ready for that conversation. Some of you will never be ready for that conversation. But even that question is an embodiment of the grace of God. To say, you know what? Even if I'm going to hear some negative things right now, let's be it together. I accept that. I understand that. And then they start laughing and telling stories about things you never heard of. Yeah. I divert. But be broken. Be pure in heart. Hunger. Hunger for God. Be full of mercy. Make peace with people. Be willing to stand even if you're going to catch it. This is salt. This is light. You know, when we talk about salt, there's something about it. And Jesus used that metaphor for a reason, right? You're salt. That means there's something about you that sustains the world. There's something about your character, about your heart, those who walk the Beatitudes. There's something there that sustains society. You never really know. You never really know the effect you have on the world around you. And you will probably never will. Well, at your funeral, you know. So... If you can fake your death and, you know, pull people together. But there's something about living a life so well with integrity, with these attributes that has a powerful, strong impact on the world. You remember Mother Teresa. There's a great story about Mother Teresa when she came to, she came to the States later in her life. And she told, she was asked to speak at the president's prayer breakfast. And it was a, it was a, liberal president who promoted abortion and she gave like 45 minutes of like catching it in the neck from her that God will never bless a nation that that allows the killing of the unborn that treats their children that way etc etc she like no holds barred she just went all out you know 
so when she got done, everyone stood up and applauded and applauded and applauded. And then when she sat down, she's like this little tiny thing. And the president stands up right there afterwards with a thundering applause still hanging in the room. And he says, well, it's hard to argue with a life so well lived. That there is power in the way you live. There is. That's what it means to be salt. There's so much more. Let me talk about light for a minute. That when Jesus says that you are the light of the world, he's calling you a light bearer. That there is something in you that those that he is the light of the world, and if you're in Christ, you bear light. You're like one of those lighthouses, right? Those lighthouses have very, very important jobs. They are defined by who they are. It's a house with light. If there was no light in it, you couldn't call it a lighthouse. It would just be a house, an ugly house by the water. But it has light in it, so it's called a lighthouse. There's two major functions of a lighthouse. The first is to prevent ships from running aground, right? At night, back in the day before lighthouses, ships would be sailing along, they couldn't see anything, and they'd crash right into the rocks. And there was certain destruction. A lighthouse serves as a protection against certain death. A lighthouse always also it points and is directional. It shows the boats where to go. As they approach land, they see the lighthouse. They know where they are and they know where to go. Listen, when Jesus says you're the light of the world, there is, there is an action to that. There is a role in who you are as a light bearer. I like how it says in 2 Corinthians, it says, For God said, Let light shine out of darkness. And he made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I love that because the writer is referring to creation, right? He's saying, the God who said, let light shine in the darkness. Genesis 1, let there be light. <laughs> Lights went on. It was like um, 8-8-88 up at Wrigley Field. <laughs> Lights went on. Actually, 8888 was rained out. It was 8988. There's a guy running around through the switch. God spoke it and light came. He said the same thing happens in us when he spoke light into our lives. Right? And the, the, the effect of us being filled with the light of God is that the glory of God would shine like the face of Christ. That you would be the face of Christ in the world. Do you know how many times you can sit and have a conversation with someone and share the glory of Christ? It's just not that hard. I was on a flight yesterday coming back from Memphis, and I was sitting next to a guy. Turns out he was a Mormon. He was all about religious conversation with me. About halfway through, he realized, oh, this guy is a Christian pastor, and I'm a Mormon dentist. And so, you know, we agreed to disagree on a lot of things, but we just ended up having this friendship conversation. And in the end, my only role was to say, I won't use his name, listen man, it's about Jesus and the glory of God that came through Jesus. And he didn't even care to argue with me. 
I have to be light. I could have argued about the deity of Christ. I could have argued about all these different things. You know, row 17A on an airplane. I had two hours. But I wasn't about to do that. Why? Because argumentation does not bring about the glory of Christ. I speak to theology. I say who Jesus is. But in the end of the day, I just want to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus will save him from ruin and me and you and everyone you speak to. When's the last time you let the glory of God, the face of Christ, come from you? Light it up a little bit. Just light it up a little bit. Most people don't know how to do it because they're either super obnoxious or they're so terrified they just they just really squeak out something and run away. But when you walk the Beatitudes and you know mercy and you know brokenness, and you know peacemaking, and you know Jesus, there's something about our lives that we can beak in Christ. And it's not because you have a, you know, the points and the mission. It's because of who you are. You see, blessed people bless people, right? When we're talking with our neighbors or when I'm sharing on a plane or whether you know I'm at a baseball field or a soccer field, I ask the Lord, Lord, let my face radiate Christ. And let that be in the shape of the lighthouse that I am. Some of you are far more bold than I am. Some of you are not nearly as bold as I am. But you know what? God doesn't even care. Whatever shape, whatever size, whatever way, the issue is that you radiate Christ. It's not enough just to, you know, be a good person. That's salt. Salt is who you are. And there's something beautiful and preservatory and, and, and tasteful about living for God. But there's also this beacon that warns people from destruction and that points people the right way. When I read these words of Jesus, I think I want to be that before I try to do that. I want to be salt and light before I try to go out and do salt and light. Both are necessary. But the reality is, I might, I got some business to do in my own heart just to say, Lord, let, walk me through the Beatitudes. Let me be this. Let me embody what it means to follow Jesus. And then one, as I embody that, not like once I'm finished, because then none of us will ever do anything. But as I seek to embody that, let my life shine. Let my life preserve. You have no idea how weird it is to be a pastor in a neighborhood, right? Because everyone treats you like the pastor. But I had this, I had this great advantage. When I moved in, people were there. They didn't know what I do. Most people that I know kind of know what I do. Oh, he's the pastor. So they stop swearing, they pretend to give to the church, and they act like, you know, their kids like them. So the, there's, there's like this whole big ramp up to go meet, the, I hate it, I so hate it, because I'm not like that. But people do it, and I, I get it. So, but when I moved into my neighborhood, nobody knew. We were just, you know, the guy before us who lived there had a serious case of Tourette's, the Tourette's. 
And so he would mow the lawn and just scream and swear. And like the neighbors would like run and get their children out. Oh no, he's cutting the grass. And they'd pull him into the house. We don't want our children to be exposed to that kind of language. He was so cool to us. He was great. Anyways, but evidently he wasn't always the greatest blessing in the neighborhood. So when we moved in with little kids and stuff like that, they threw a party. They literally, a neighbor came running three doors down. They saw Luke was like that big. And they had, and, and the neighbor, she's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Our kids, they're going to be best friends. I know they are. And just went on. They like celebrated our arrival. And never once did they ask me what I do. For years, they had no idea what I did. I would talk about the Lord. I would just, you know, I'd go to work, come back. I had weird hours, so they would be like, do you even work? How do you even afford that house? And about three years in, I was sitting in a backyard bonfire, and one of the, the ladies was like, we're friends, right? And there's a group of us. I'm like, yeah, we're friends, absolutely. We love you guys. Okay, so we wouldn't have been friends. We would never have been friends if we knew what you did. I'm like, What? You gotta be kidding me. No, we would not have done it. If we knew you were a pastor of a church, we would have been like, staying clear. But, as it turns out, who knew? We have good friends and they're pastors. (laughs) And I was like, poking the fire, I'm like, I don't know how to feel right now about all this. (laughs) But I know this, it was a salt and light moment for me. Because I talked about the Lord with them. I had been real. They saw us, you know, raise our kids. Their dog bit Luke, you know? And so, and we had to respond to that. I didn't bite him back, you know? I thought, I did good. I could have sunk my incisors into their back. <clears throat> and so, but we had lived our life. And I got, I was salt. I know I was. Because I, I, I adjusted the dynamic because of who I was, of the neighborhood. Because it's kind of a wild dynamic. And I, I talked about Christ. And then and only then did they put me in a box. Don't introduce yourself as minister so-and-so or elder this or deacon that or I'm a Christian. Be salt. Be light. And let the light and the life of Christ come out of you. I think that's what Jesus is after in these passages. Amen? Stand with me. Let's be done. Father, we thank you for just your word and these beatitudes. Let us be champions of these things. Help us to understand them. Help us to embody them. Lord, thank you for those incredible words you spoke over us, that we would be salt, that we would be light. Lord, it just doesn't seem like something a lot of us even signed up for. Because it just doesn't seem right that we would be that. Your salt, Lord, your light. We're just along for the ride, it seems. But still, you speak that to us. Because that's your will for us. That we would be in mission with you. That we would incarnate the living Christ, Lord. That we would be people of heaven, not just of earth. And so, Lord, we embrace it. We receive it. You've spoken over us that we would be salt and light. Help us to live the Beatitudes. Help us to affect the world this way. 
And Lord, let people see the glory of God in the face of Christ in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Make us lighthouses, O God. Amen.